Guess what, Lions? For as little as $5 a month, you can get access to exclusive bonus audio content and help this program grow by joining the Lions of Liberty Pride. To learn more, head over to lionsofliberty.com support. Welcome to Electric Liberty Land here on the Lions of Liberty podcast, your weekly shot of culture, comedy, and liberty with your host, Brian McWilliams. Hey, what's happening out there, guys? Welcome to this week's Electric Liberty Land, which is Electric Liberty Land number 35. Of course, that means you can find the show notes at lionsofliberty.com forward slash ELL35. Now, this one is going to be a shorter show. That I promise you. Because uh, I've been doing these like hour-long, 10-minute shows, and I am just too tired to do it today. I was in uh, Las Vegas for the Mayweather-McGregor fight over the weekend with the one and only legal man of mystery, Rico. And we did not catch the fight live. We did not go to it in person because that was just way too expensive. But we did watch it. We were there. And we did record a a nice road trip podcast for our Lions Pride members, which, of course, you can check out. You heard Mark talk about at the top of the show, but you go to lionsofliberty.com forward slash support. So, long story short, I was up a long time, and I'm an old man now, and it takes me a long time to recover. I'll be turning 38 this year, and I've said before, the equation I've invented, which holds true, is that... However old you are, you divide that by 10, that's how many days you'll be hungover. For me, that works out at this point in time to 3.7 days. As of right now, I am uh, at about 3.3 days, I think. So I, uh, I should be good by tomorrow. But for today, holy crap, do I feel exhausted. So I'm going to sip on a little Oktoberfest here. I'm going to go on a few rants, and I'm going to call it a day. So, uh, you know, like that, you deal with it. You tweet at me. I'll, uh, I'll tell you to go jump off a bridge. All right. So first things I want to start off with today is that there is a bill that has been proposed by a Democratic state, state senator named Melinda Bush in Illinois. And it essentially is a gender wager. Sorry, not even a gender. I can't even say a gender, gender wage. A gender cost law that aims to even out the price differences between what people can charge for men's and women's products or services. They want to make it so that consumers get equal treatment across the board and businesses cannot charge women more for men, such for services such as salon appointments or dry cleaning or presumably pedicures. I don't know any of that kind of crap. Now, of course, this is moronic. And I think you legitimately have to be completely mentally deficient to think that this is something that makes sense to force onto businesses. Now, in this article I'm reading, this is from like a a local TV station. They talked to a, a local cosmologist and teacher who had a very poignant point of view, considering she will be directly influenced by this, uh, this legislation where it's passed. So she says, I feel like it's going to end up hurting the small businesses like me that are self-employed having to charge the same for both male and female. We're going to lose clients. I think the businesses should be the ones to decide what they want to do, and the government should probably stay out of it, said another man, Charles Lepper of Fowler. In general, let's all agree. Like, Let's just say 
that we're no longer going to operate under the ridiculous, uh, we live in a dream world pretext of men and women being completely equal and not needing different needs. Because when you look at something like a beautician or a cosmetician or a hairstylist or somebody that's doing any sort of dry cleaning, which is what this bill specifically is calling out, you realize that there is no way in hell you can justify asking a man to pay the $400 that women somehow pay for a perm and haircut and all this other stuff when a guy's going in and saying, okay, I've got hair that's three inches long. I want you to dye it blonde for me. It'll take about 40 minutes, all told, versus a woman where you're going in, you're layering, you're trimming, you're dyeing. It takes hours and hours and hours. I know this. My wife goes in. Whenever she gets her hair cut, she's there for three or four hours. I'm already bald, so I cut my hair at home. And you know what's going to happen for men that aren't bald? They're also going to start cutting their hair at home. Or you're going to see people going to black market providers for these services. Or you're going to have businesses just ignore the law that are then going to get hit with penalties and fines. And they're going to be forced to close. And they're going to cost people business. And they're going to cost people employment that are, that are employed by those, those businesses that cannot justify possibly charging men and women the same amount. I mean, you literally have to question how this, this state senator, Melinda Bush, got elected. When you have an idea this stupid, even stupid people should be able to tell and understand on a base level what economics is and how it can impact the marketplace and how it would impact businesses locally should you push this through and just say, logically, this cannot possibly exist. I mean, even something like, we could say, dry cleaning, right? If you've got dry cleaning, you say, oh, well, well, you know, it's the same process. They, uh, they dry the garments chemically and they clean they have the stains out chemically. And, you know, why should you charge more for that? Well, again, if a woman brings in a dress or something like that, or a woman brings in a blouse that's got a lot more, let's say, ruffles, let's say it's made of different fabrics than a man's garment, you're going to charge her more because it's a simple matter of taking more time to clean it. Why is this a concept that would be difficult for this woman to understand? This is just social justice uh, position. I mean, it really, I, I, I don't even understand how you can position it as anything other than just social justice for the sake of social justice. And it's not even justice because you're not actually being just to anybody. What you're doing is taking one, one uh, section of people, let's say women in this circumstance, who are paying a rightful amount of money for the services and a rightful amount of money compared to the time and then saying, well, let's throw that out the window. We're now going to screw over men and we're going to screw over businesses. Where's the justice in that? It's unbelievably stupid. So I sincerely hope if you're somebody that is in Illinois or somebody that knows someone in Illinois, please do call them up, ask them for them to specifically vote against Melinda Bush next time she's up for election and to please write her quite a few nasty letters and, uh, and let anybody that did vote for her know that they are a complete and total mongo. Okay, let's move on here to another thing that uh, gets involved with costs before I talk about the Antifa for a bit. Obviously, the biggest thing going on right now is Houston. There is, uh, you know, the massive weather, the hurricanes that, that have hit Houston have really left it in a state of true emergency. And um, by the way, guys, you've heard us talk about Walk the Walk before on this show, which is uh, from our buddy Clint Rankin, a listener and a, a Pride member, and Greg Glyer over at Donor C. So 
Clint has put together Walk the Walk, which chooses certain charities that uh, that we're going to support as libertarians. And he's got a great one for the Cajun Navy. You may or may not have heard about these people, but they go around. They were created in Louisiana, as you might presume, during the Katrina times. But they're just people that have boats. They have experience helping, rescuing people. So they are... They've traveled down to Houston to help all the people that are impacted by this flood and ongoing rains, pulling them out of the water, getting them to safety. We are funding them. So if you've got a couple extra shekels you're willing to throw at a project, please do consider giving it to the Cajun Navy via Walk the Walk and Donor Sea. And I have linked to that in the show notes. Again, you can find that lionsofliberty.com forward slash ELL35. It's a very good cause. This money is going directly to people that are helping. Do not give it to the Red Cross. As we've seen before, like with Hurricane Katrina, they are just bogged down in just as much red tape as the government is, just as much misallocation of resources and false reporting of actual goods done. Uh, Yeah, just like the government. Uh, I lost all respect for the Red Cross, to be honest. They gave them money. I looked and see the reports from Haiti, uh, from Katrina, from, you know, the Japanese tidal waves that hit. All of it, garbage. Money is completely wasted on overheads, on um, just people being way too slow and bogged down in bureaucracy to actually get any of the any of the product you're actually giving them money for over to these places. Now, what we're seeing, though, in Texas right now, pardon me, I'm going to get a drink of my beer. What we're seeing in Texas right now, though, is that they've got these anti-price gouging laws on the books, and they're very proud about it. I mean, they're really giving themselves the old handy J. They're real happy and excited about it. They're putting out all these notes to the public saying, oh, we catch you price gouging. Oh, there'll be hell to pay. Tarnation. And they shoot their six shooters in the air, which I'm fine with. Um, what I'm not fine with is, is that price gouging is getting this negative connotation to it. Uh, and it has a negative connotation. They call it gouging. That, that alone tells you all you need to know about how these people feel about prices and about the free market at work. And I just read an LA Times columnist um, today in my, my local paper who I did not yell at, mostly because I didn't want to, again, doing public relations in Los Angeles, this man might have been useful for me down the line a little bit. So, but I read this guy's column, which basically the whole point of the column was that while economists, <laughs> you know, those idiots, while economists say price gouging is actually a good thing, it's still terrible because mm, shameful, you know, it's just, it's just not right. And that was literally the, the point of his, his article. It did not break down the economic arguments. It did not break down any of the logical arguments or why price gouging is a good thing and how it actually helps a situation. His whole thing was, no, no, this is bad because you know it, it, people should people need help. We should just give everything away. That was it. He's a goddamn idiot. Meanwhile, on the other side of the the economic uh, coin here, where the economists are actually weighing in, saying if you let the free market work, you could get more products there faster than if you simply say, okay, we're going to not allow anyone to charge more than a certain set amount. And if we do, we're going to arrest them or prosecute them or stop them and seize their goods at the border or whatever else they're going to try to do. And of course, as we've seen before, government is slow as dirt trying to get anything done helping people. So if you've got people that are able to do it, like look at the Cajun Navy. They're helping people out of the goodness of their hearts. They're doing it nonprofit. But if you have somebody that says, well, I could help people for a profit. I mean, shit, for $20, I'll go around and pick people up. Or for $20, I'll go and bring cases of water to people who need them in my boat. 
Why is that not something to help the people? Now, you could say, okay, well, you usually you pay $4 or $6 for a case of water. So why so expensive? Well, I'll tell you why. Because he had to go out, find water, transport that water at risks to his own life or her own life, find the people, deliver the water, and then go back out and do it all again. If you remove the incentive, i.e. profit above and beyond the normal profit that gets people out of their chairs and actually making the effort to try to get more supplies and bring them in, why would anybody bother? Everybody then is just going to sit on their ass and say, well, you know, I don't have the time to go take off work and do this because clearly there's the risk reward. You say, okay, what's the, what's the risk here? Okay, if I take off work, I'm not going to get X amount of money from my job. But the reward, if I'm allowed to charge above and beyond what normal prices would dictate, were this a, say, normal circumstance, which it's not, well, I can make far above what I'd usually get in my hourly wage. So I'll use some of my vacation time. I'll go out and spend some money. I'll buy some product. I'll fly down or I'll drive down or I'll boat down here. And I'll sell it to people who are in dire need of it. And honestly... Even though they're not going to be super happy to be paying a little bit more money, you know what they are going to be very happy about? Having it at all. Wouldn't you rather have some water or some food or some power or somebody's bringing generators down and supplying it? Wouldn't you rather have something rather than nothing when you're simply trying to stay warm and alive someplace? But no, let's make sure that everybody gets, gets nipped in the bud. Anytime they think about trying to do something out of the norm and try to do something while maybe it's not moral, as this jackass at the LA Times is talking about. But I agree, and I personally argue that it is moral, because your vision of morality and mine don't uh, meet eye to eye anyway. But saying that people can't do it and trying to stop it right away is hurting far more people than it's helping. And it's slowing everything down. Because look at it, even on a macro point of view. Why is anybody, for these big box stores, they're not going to try to rush to bring stuff in. Because they know that they can't sell it at a higher rate. Even though the demand is such that people are going to be queuing up outside the stores. They're going to run in. They're going to snap it up and be gone immediately, leaving tons of people wanting for that product anyway. And again, that's not covering the cost of them bringing it in, having specialty equipment and gear that it takes to go and brave that kind of uh, environmental devastation. It's just, it, it's so frustrating to me because everybody likes to take this high ground and yet none of them actually understand the overarching impact of it. And this is libertarianism in a nutshell to me. It's trying to explain to people that just because Somebody makes a profit off something doesn't mean it's bad and most of the time actually provides more people with a better service or a cheaper service at a cost that is, you know, vastly impacts far more people than just the, the few that you're, that you're concentrating on that might get the short shrift here. It's so funny because you always hear people talk about the greater good. The greater good is the most amount of people getting the best service or product for the least amount of money. Who is being helped in the circumstances if you, if you allow price gauging? In truth, not everybody wins because that's not the marketplace. But far more people will end up winning. And in truth, if you can provide people with a good or a service, if you can provide people with water and bananas at 10 times the cost of water and bananas, while some people might not be able to afford it, I'm sure some people there can. And when you're huddled together with somebody in the same shelter, if you can afford it, you're probably going to say, you know what, let me help you out. 
I happen to have $50 in my wallet. I'd be happy to buy a case for your family and a case for my family because that's where the true charity comes out, especially because you can't rely on pure charity to provide for everything at all times, especially in this kind of circumstance or in general. (laughs) And charity and the marketplace work hand in hand. All right, let's take a quick commercial break, and I will be right back with some thoughts about Antifa and what's going on in San Francisco recently. And a a shocking turn of events where the Washington Post actually is calling out Antifa for what they are. Three, two, one. Hey, folks, I'm Remso W. Martinez, the host of the one, the only Remso Republic podcast. Now, I know what you're thinking. I know exactly what you're thinking, to be exact. This is a pitch for another show. I already listened to too many. But hey, I've got news for you. Each and every Wednesday, you can escape the mindless entertainment and loud political pundits by escaping to the place which truly is the clash of punk rock and politics, the Remso Republic. From comedians to politicians to real-life superheroes and liberty activists, we don't stick to normal often as we hard charge each and every week to bring you the freshest entertainment and news in an ocean of shows fighting for your attention. We're on iTunes, Google Play, SoundCloud, Stitcher, TuneIn, and many more platforms. Don't miss out. Join the fun and be awesome. Stay up to date with the latest news and updates by visiting remzorepublic.com. We're back in it on this uh, truncated, exhausted, rambling Electric Liberty Land this week. Now, I want to talk about San Francisco now. Um, I was actually talking a little bit online. I was trying to get Joey Gibson, the guy who was heading up Patriot Prayer on the show. And we had been emailing back and forth a little bit on Facebook Messenger. And uh, I thought twice he was going to come on. And then he just disappeared. I didn't get to talk to him. (laughs) So, anyway... Because he is, uh, he had organized one rally, and there was a second rally going on as well uh, this past weekend from uh, a, a woman who was organizing an anti-Marxism rally. Now, Joey had already gone on a local TV station, but for the most part, had been ignored by the media. And this is in shocking contrast to how much media attention was paid to people that wanted to protest Patriot Prayer's organization. Now, Patriot Prayer is, by the way, not a white extremist group. Uh, Nothing in their language, nothing in their messaging, nothing in their membership indicates it's a white supremacist or a white nationalist group. And, you know, Joey himself had gone on this, this TV program and just, you know, he's half Japanese. They had three speakers that were black. They had a a transgender uh, Trump supporter that was speaking on there. They had a Muslim atheist speaking on it. And it was basically just an exercise in free speech trying to say, look, we've got to to knock off this language. You know, we're, we're trying to promote a little bit more conservative values, but by no way, shape, or form is it a, a hate rally. Now, that didn't matter because as soon as it leaked that this organization was uh, trying to have an event— San Francisco's mayor stands up and he goes, oh, this is uh, hate speech and we're not going to allow this kind of thing. You know, I'm proud of all the protests I'm seeing. And you've got Nancy Pelosi, who, of course, Nancy Pelosi is uh, is a witch that cast a spell on her own mind, turning into some sort of grapefruit mush. But she's on TV, on national TV, on CNN or whatever, also saying, oh, we've got to stand up against this hate rally that's planned. And again, only one TV station that I could find actually took the time to talk to this man. 
and ask him what his organization stood for and ask him who their membership was. But that didn't matter because they already said they had some, you know, 8,000 protesters where it was what they expected to counter protest, including the Antifa thugs that had been so prevalent at all these gatherings. So Joey ended up canceling his event. Uh, the other event, this march against or rally against Marxism, also was canceled. However, I think maybe people showed up a little, you know, a little too late. They didn't understand it was canceled at the time, even though the organizer did not show up. The event itself, um, certain people showed up. I think that might have been supposed to be speaking on it. Certain supporters from the right showed up to this anti-Marxism event, and they were met with again many thousands of protesters, including Antifa. And while these alt-righters or these members, not even alt-right, just people that are anti-socialism and anti-communism, probably some libertarians there too, whoever showed up, though, they were just simply standing around talking. They were uh, standing up for their right to free speech. And they were brutally attacked by Antifa and by the weaker members mentally of the crowd that got jazzed up by groups like Antifa. And the shocking thing about this is not that this happened. Because at this point, we're seeing par for the course as far as this goes. The shocking thing to me that actually happened was that for the first time that I can think of, a liberal newspaper with a good readership, such as the Washington Post, actually covered the event honestly. Here's the headline that the Washington Post had. Black-clad Antifa members attack peaceful white-wing right wing demonstrations in Berkeley. And they were not shy about saying that these quote-unquote anti-fascists barged into Berkeley's Martin Luther King Jr. Civic Center Park, jumped concrete barriers, and went just spread pepper spraying and swinging clubs into the crowd, bashing people with their homemade shields, uh, ganging up on people five on one, kicking and punching a guy that's just trying to defend himself who had done nothing at all, throwing water bottles, throwing urine, throwing rocks. And Joey Gibson, by the way, was one of the people who had, I guess, attended this other rally in lieu of attending his own rally. And I saw actually there was video of it that, uh, and again, you can see some of this video in the Washington Post piece, but there was video of Joey Gibson as well, taken from a per- first person perspective on someone's phone. Just getting whacked in the head with sticks. Some guy that I think was just walking behind him got clocked in the head with a pole knocked to the ground. And he was clearly, I mean, he, the guy was barely conscious. And then you see people whacking him with shields. Uh, you see this giant cloud of pepper spray as he's walking away. And eventually the cops grabbed him, handcuffed him, and then shoved him through the police line. But he was not detained. Uh, he was not charged in any way, shape, or form. They just basically pushed him back for those zone good and released him. But you've got this... <laughs> You've got this event happening, which, again, was was completely enabled and facilitated where, where it was being actively encouraged by the mayor and by our politicians, actively encouraging people to go out and take to the streets and get to these locations to yell down people that are simply trying to exercise their own free speech rights. So the same Berkeley mayor who had initially caused these hate speech events, Berkeley Mayor Jesse Araguin, I'm probably saying that wrong as usual, he then says this after the event. I applaud the more than 7,000 people who came out today to peacefully oppose bigotry, 
hatred, and racism that we saw on display in Charlottesville. However, the violence that small that small group of protesters engaged in against residents and the police, including throwing smoke, balls, smoke bombs, is unacceptable. Fighting hate with hate does not work and only makes each side more entrenched in their ideological camps. Now, that's actually one of the more logical statements I've ever heard uh, out of a politician's mouth in this day and age. I mean, I can't remember somebody saying, hey, you know, while it's nice you're protesting, actually being violent isn't good. And engaging hate is going to make this things worse, which is the point I've been trying to make to people forever. You know, the more you whack somebody with a pole that thinks differently than you, the more they're going to go deeper into their own beliefs and find other people that are going to help protect them against people whacking them with poles. Those people are usually going to be violent or extreme in their own way, shape, or form. But again, even in his own comment, though, this Berkeley mayor's comment, he's still throwing gas on the flames because he's saying he's applauding the 7,000 people who came out today to oppose bigotry, hatred, and racism that we saw on display in Charlottesville. But explain to me, Jesse, how exactly does a neo-Nazi slash white nationalist march where they're yelling, we will not be replaced by Jews, and carrying Nazi symbols, and giving Zig Hales, and clearly are coming there with at least some intention of fighting? How does that correlate to a, a rally or two different rallies, one of which has speakers of every ethnicity you could want talking about free speech and talking about uh, principles of right-leaning folk, and one that's trying to go push back against communist thought and socialist thought and the fascism of the left? How exactly are these things related to Charlottesville? Because to me, it seems like they're not related in any way, shape, or form, except they're trying to push back against the violence that comes from people on the left, which have now decided that anything that they do not agree with is automatically considered Nazi hate bigotry speech, which you now have taken part of as well. This type of rhetoric has got to end. It is sheer insanity. And at this point, I mean... You need to have more people standing up and just calling a spade a spade. And again, I'm shocked the Washington Post has finally done it. And I'm hoping that more publications will see the light. For example, The Onion. The Onion finally wrote an article which said that, you know, Antifa go out to protest uh, fascism, bigotry, and uh, and also, or they, uh, there was something like uh, Antifa attack fascism, bigotry, and also anyone that happens to be walking down the street that day is basically the point of their their article. And it was completely on point. Because there's a very thin line between what Antifa Antifa considers fascism or hate speech and just anybody that that in any way, shape, or form happens to disagree with them on any level. Like, you could probably want a tuna sandwich and somebody from Antifa would want a hand sandwich and they would consider you a bigot for wanting that tuna sandwich. Because, God damn, what are you? You anti-fish? You motherfucking yeah, fascist? And then they hit you in the face with a hammer. Or a bike lock. <laughs> oh, the rants. The rants. I swear to God. My brain. Guys, for real. My brain right now 
is I, I think there's probably four neurons firing. Uh, so again, I apologize. This show's not going to be as tight or as glib as many of my regular shows. But just to wrap it up here, uh, I, I really hope that things have finally come around so far that people are starting to see that the media and the politicians are just lying through their teeth. They're mislabeling everything. That the love of Antifa and the defending of Antifa has got to stop. So maybe finally, finally, we're seeing the worm turn on this. We'll start to see some people actually use logic when talking about people that are, for all intents and purposes, domestic terrorists, as far as I'm concerned. All right, final thoughts here as uh, I, I cling to life at <laughs> the end of the show. Um, I do want to talk just a briefly, briefly about North Korea and North Korea launching a missile over Japan. Clearly, that is a huge deal. Uh, it's the most provocative thing they've done yet. You're firing a missile over another sovereign nation and a nation that is very closely allied to the U.S. as of now. So I just, I swear to God, I don't know what they're thinking. I don't know how this helps their cause. Then again, I don't think that the U.S. and South Korea and Japan doing military drills all over the place in shows of strength helps the cause of trying to get North Korea to uh, de-escalate their nuclear program. I'll never understand that. They know what we've got. They know that North Korea knows it's outgunned. I mean, for Christ's sake, they're a tiny country with hardly any natural resources. They know they're outgunned. Why are we trying to provocate on top of their provocations? You know, sit down, sit down and talk. Talk about how they can get economic help for exchange for, for cutting back their nuclear program. Talk about how we can bring them into the 21st century as far as their industry is concerned, as far as computers are concerned, as far as working with South Korea in those industrial zones again. Working with other countries in, in, in different industrial endeavors uh, anywhere in the region. I mean, there's ways to do this that are far better than just going back and forth tit for tat, launching missiles and having exercises and doing blusterous uh, proclamations like Trump. Like every president, by the way, likes to say the same thing. All options are on the table. Okay, fine. Aren't all options always on the table? Isn't that the point of having options? Is that they're always there? Especially for Trump, you're uh, a negotiator, a master negotiator, so you claim, yeah, we know. We know the options are all there. We know that you're not going to tell the option that you're not going to use because that would be a disadvantage for you in the debate room. But I mean, come on. There's one outcome to this that's actually going to do any good, and that is sitting down and talking, doing Six Nation talks and bringing everybody to the table again rather than going through different conduits and uh, shoving more boats into that area. I mean, really, what's what's the only thing you could do at this point? You're not, you can't drop bombs in North Korea because they'll just bomb the living hell out of South Korea, killing millions, including tens of thousands of U.S. troops. And now they've essentially taken another hostage by sh- you know, shooting this missile over Japan because they're saying, OK, well, now we can hit Japan, too. Who knows if the nuclear uh, head will work? Who knows if it won't just be- pull a black snake and a bunch of nuclear ooze will just kind of spiral around out the top of it? Who knows if they even have been able to uh, miniaturize it to the point where it would fit in the missile. I mean, who knows? They're not showing us any of that yet. But essentially, they're saying, okay, we've got another hostage here. Whole other nation. So you have two options. Sit down or assassinate them. And if you think you can get in there and assassinate them, you take a big risk as well. Because who's to say that the people that, don't, that, that take over, which is probably going to be the military, don't end up being another Egypt situation? 
where you've got just as bad of a people in there, except the military might be more inclined to use all the, uh, the armaments they have because they're generals and they like to blow shit up. <laughs> They've been stockpiling weapons for years. They probably are itching to use them. And they'd be more than happy to help with an assassination plot, considering the fact that Kim Jong-un keeps shooting him with uh, anti-aircraft guns and strapping him to missiles or whatever else he does over there. But again, you're you're not assured of any better outcome in that circumstance. So sit down, talk it out, grab a guitar, to invite Dennis Rodman over, figure it out one shape or form. All right, that's it. I'm done. I'm toast. Guys, thank you so much for putting up with me today on this uh, short episode. I promise you I will do a, uh, a longer episode when I have the chance, or maybe I'll do a, a little special Thursday bonus or something like that in here, because I'm going out of town again this weekend for a uh, wedding and then going to Mexico and all sorts of stuff. So I am, uh, I might be just as tired next week, but we'll see. Hopefully not. So anyway, for now, please do follow us on Twitter, guys, at Lions of Liberty. Follow me at Brian McWilliams. Make sure you listen to Mark Clare with his in-depth interviews every Monday. Listen to John Odie Odermatt on Fridays doing awesome interviews about the criminal justice reform and the people that are falsely accused or falsely imprisoned within it. And, of course, give us a review on iTunes if you could. Support the podcast. Get some, get some sweet Electric Liberty Land shirts, guys. LionsLiberty.store. Okay, that's it. From me, Brian McWilliams here at Lions of Liberty. From Electric Liberty Land, always stay plugged in to Liberty.